All right, welcome back. This is always the, the teaching slot that no teacher wants right after lunch. <laughs> but we'll give it a try. So we are on page four, lecture two, Deeper Discipleship. Boy, the lunch was yummy. I noticed that you came down to my neck of the woods and went to Porto's. I live in Burbank, and just imagine that is that temptation's always in front of us. <laughs> we love Porto's. Thank you for that. It was fun. The conversations were great. I always hear, love hearing ladies just chatting away, and um, it's just fun. Just fun. Okay. All right. Well, um, over the next hour, what we're going to be doing is we are going to continue to grow in godliness by understanding what God's expectation is for all believers and helping other believers who struggle uh, either with sin or who are suffering um, from the effects of sin since we live the side of heaven and are just maybe feeling some discouragement or maybe believers that are just weak in their faith um, for one reason or another and just simply need our help to grow towards maturity in Christ. And I just call it deeper discipleship. You know, we kind of covered this whole idea of um, the purposes and reasons and practice of discipleship, but now let's just kind of narrow the focus a little bit and kind of think through what that would look like. Um, I think in a spiritual sense, the local church is, uh, can be likened to a hospital, um, if you think about it. Uh, Kathy knows a little something about that. Um, while it's true that believers are new creatures in Christ, um, they are still recovering from radical spiritual heart surgery, really. And, um, you know, we still battle. Uh, we're not perfected, and we still battle with the residue of heart disease, otherwise known as sin, every day of our lives. So, inevitably... There are going to be times that we find ourselves needing to be a little bit more involved in a deeper discipleship kind of a relationship, you know, kind of more of a counseling relationship because we either we need help or somebody that we're meeting with needs our help. Um, I think all of us have been in that boat at one or more times in our life. And it's really at those times where we get the privilege of administering in love that kind of right bit of medicine, which I would just say is God's word which is sufficient. It's sufficient to reorient a person back to good spiritual health, to the glory of God. Um, I love that last song we sang. It's one of my favorites. And because women are individuals, as we seek to disciple them or counsel them, we have to be uh, cautious, I think, from counseling and generalities. Um, Rather, the women that God brings us for deeper discipleship are individuals, and they need our care and concern. And I always tell my students that people are not problems attached to people. They're not my project, right, when they come for counsel. They just need genuine love and care from one believer to another. Um, You know, sometimes the goal is to help them to identify sin in their life and then to help them to turn from that sin and turn towards Christ Um, who's going to actually work change in their life and and help them to respond in a godly way. Um, But that type of involvement with others really requires a genuine love for one another. And as I kind of said earlier, that just comes from a heart that loves Christ. You know, if you're truly a believer, from your heart, you should want and desire to love others um, in that way. Um, Your heart is inclined that way now. It's not so much about you as much as it's about 
love for God and love for others. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to be talking about different categories of sin that often come up in the body of Christ and just various struggles which encompass all kinds of people in the church needing help. And, and if, you, if you're honest with yourself, <laughs> you'll discover that you've probably been in each of these categories at one time or another. Um, it just shows that we're you know, sinners saved by a great Savior. And I think it'll be helpful to you um, as you seek to just help one another and love one another. It's kind of a one another ministry, isn't it? Um, but go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We're going to land um, there. I'll give you a little bit of context uh, leading up to 1 Thessalonians 5. But one of my favorite letters. Um, but so, so one thing I just want you to understand in your mind, this is a real church in a real time with real people. Okay, this isn't fiction that we're reading here. This is a real church in a real time with real believers like you and me. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this local church in Thessalonica. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. And it's an interesting little city that's in Greece. Um, and it's, it's an interesting city because there's a modern city amongst ruins when Paul walked there. So it's quite fascinating. But if you glance at 1 Thessalonians 1, um, what you're going to see there in verse 1 <clears throat> is that Paul wrote this letter to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you'll discover right away that the people to whom Paul is writing are believers. So this is a letter to believers, and most of these believers were recipients of the gospel when Paul and his missions team passed through Thessalonica, and he, he did what we were talking about earlier. He and his team shared the truth about Christ when he was going through town, when given that opportunity. And when he, when he did that, he shared the truth with a couple of different communities of people. He shared the truth with Jewish people um, who were there, and then he went out to the rest of the people living in the area and shared the gospel with them as well. And so thankfully what we know from the book of Acts is a lot of these Jewish people in Thessalonica were saved. And, and that's just amazing. It was a large number um, that believed in the gospel, as well as a large number of God-fearing Greeks um, that got saved. And so we've got this really cool church that is a mixture of people. It's not just one or the other. It's a mixture of backgrounds, and they, they now have a common bond in Christ, um, who is the hope of glory. And so this is really a real-life illustration of what we learned about this morning, the Apostle Paul and his missions team obeyed Christ's great commission by making disciples of all nations, and in this specific instance, he spent time in Thessalonica sharing the truth about Jesus, and then he spent time making disciples while he was there by showing them the word of God and seeking to disciple them in their new faith, okay? The, the sad thing is, you know, as would happen to Paul all the time, his time was cut short, because, of course, there's always this little group of a mob of jealous Jews that, you know, kicked him out. But while he was there, um, he was very, very faithful. And he ended up sending Timothy, we know that, um, to, to just be an encouragement to them. And that Timothy would communicate with Paul and let him know that the people in Thessalonica um, were still doing a, a just, he would just commend them for just still continuing to love Christ and to love others. Um, but they're a persecuted church, you know, very much like 
what we experience at times. Um, But what that teaches us is that if we're committed to Jesus and his word, at some time, at some point, we are going to face persecution. So if you're facing persecution right now, some of you go to UCLA, I know, I, I got to talk to you, but you're in a secular environment or you work in a secular environment. If you're experiencing persecution from your faith, what you need to know is that you're in God's will. And so you should be saying, like, bring it on, <laughs> okay? Because that is part of being a Christian. Um, all those who desire to live in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. And so we know that there's all kinds of things like that going on. But despite the persecution that these believers are facing or faced, um, it is just a comfort to know that they continue to be an example to their communities, okay? So even this church, you can continue to be an example to your community and be strong in their faith. Um, and all, all of that, of course, is due to the Lord and his grace, which help us to handle trials and overcome evil. Um, and even though it's hard, and a lot of people, especially living in L.A., they oppose the truth fiercely, um, it's not impossible uh, to serve a sovereign God. So that's encouraging. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. This church goes through the same thing as we are going through now, nothing new. And yet, um, just to encourage you, um, let me just kind of read how Paul commends this church. It's, he, he says in chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus there in Judea. And so that church really is an important example that God gave us in his word for all of us. It's a discipled church. This is a discipled church by Paul and his team who are now discipling others. It's really encouraging to see that, even though they're facing persecution from the outside world. So I wanted to give you that backstory. I know that's kind of a long introduction. But now we can read together um, Ephesians 5.14. Paul says, We urge you, brethren... Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all men. And so here what you have is you, Paul is giving you three categories of people in the church that all disciplers will inevitably uh, be involved with at some point or another. That means all of us, right? Um, In the previous two verses, Paul is more concerned with the attitudes of people in the church towards their leaders, in particular pastors and elders, and he exhorts us in, in verses 12 to 13 to appreciate our leadership and to esteem them highly and to live peaceably with them, which is a command. But here in this verse, the Apostle Paul is changing the subject from a church's member's responsibility towards their leaders to church members' responsibility towards one another. So this is sheep to sheep, brethren to brethren, sister to sister, right? And, um, and so these are just people struggling in various ways and what our response needs to be to them when they are struggling in these specific ways. That's kind of what I want to flesh out a little bit. I personally call it deeper discipleship. And what I mean by that is as believers... We are going to now take opportunity to come alongside such a one, those who are struggling in these particular ways, and seek with the Lord's help and with the word of God to help them face it, to help them face their sin, to repent of their sin or be encouraged in their faith, 
or just to help them to grow in Christ's likeness. Um, this is the one-on-one context relationship. And as I said before, this is sort of the one another ministry um, that we should be involved in together. So let's look at that first one, verse 14. He says, we urge you, brethren, uh, to admonish the unruly. What a funny word. Do we even use that word anymore, unruly? (laughs) That's a funny word. Um, You have to take time to study that word a little bit in context to get what Paul is talking about. But in a nutshell... He is referring to a person who is disordered, like kind of like in a military sense, if you've ever served in the military or had a family member. In other words, the visual that he's trying to conjure up in your mind is, um, is, is a picture of a soldier who's just out of line or who's out of rank. You know, think of that for a moment. Um, to be unruly gives you a picture of someone who is insubordinate, would be a word you could use, or you could say non-submissive. Um, this is someone who disobeys orders, you know, a soldier, doesn't follow through on their, on their duty. And in the church, sometimes I refer to people like this as unbenders. They're just very um, out of step with the rest. You know, the church is going this way, the unbender is going the opposite direction, um, and they're in, just in rebellion. They're in rebellious disregard for God's word, for, in Christian living towards his people. They're just out of line. And so what it comes down to is a lot of times people that are stuck in unruliness are just doing what's right in their own eyes, right? Like the judges, doing what's right in their own eyes. And consequently are choosing to live disordered, undisciplined lives. And it's hard when we see our sisters in Christ doing this. It's very, very difficult because we love them so much, you know? And so it's difficult when we, we recognize that. And I think unruliness has lots of faces in the church. It's kind of difficult to pinpoint all of them. But I know that Paul, in particular, was, was actually thinking about people who, in his congregation there, they refused to work, basically. Those were the unruly people there. They wanted other people to take care of their needs. They were kind of expecting the church to support them. You know, freeloader might be a word you could use. And so he told the church that if these people don't work, they should not eat, basically is what it comes down to. He was kind of firm. Um, So that can be true of people in the church today. Um, There's a lot of people, I think, that take advantage of the local church for one reason or another. So there's that. But it's not just that. It can also be people who engage in other types of undisciplined idleness, um, some examples I've, I've run across in my experiences, um, my first thought was just people that um, are caught up in slander, you know, in the church. That's pretty unruly when you're slandering others, especially, um, you know, if it's leadership or something like that. And what happens there is it creates division in the church. And sometimes I think what happens is our leaders make decisions about something at a leadership level, and because you kind of start out not really respecting them to begin with, it upsets people um, because they don't like the decision they made, right? And so if you're not careful, you begin to engage in unruly behavior like slander. Or you could have a person who is just engaging in some kind of sinful behavior, like let's say um, sexual behavior, you know, um, sinful behavior like that, something that's just heartbreaking, Maybe someone's committed adultery um, or any other kind of sexual immorality. And that's just hard because um, we, we, want, we, don't, we know that that's going to be hard for them. That's not an easy thing. And then another one that I've come across a few times, actually, 
is just um, drunkenness. Um, you know, sometimes you meet with women who really struggle with that. They're, they're overwhelmed typically with the issues of life. They're under some kind of pressure. And what happens is instead of turning to God in their pain, they become very overwhelmed and they turn to alcohol as a false savior to drown, you know, in their pain. And that's, that's something that I see quite often. It's, it's really hard. It's, again, heartbreaking. And, of course, there's more that could be mentioned. But one thing is certain, that unruliness in whatever form it takes is a sin, and it's connected to those who are not embracing Jesus and his word as their authority in their life. And so what Paul is saying here is when we see sisters, um, people we love in trouble, in this way, as a disciple or, or just frankly, just as a, a Christian friend, we can't ignore it. You just can't. And so when you see it, as verse 14 tells you, tells us, we, we are to come alongside and we're to admonish the unruly. And that term admonish is kind of interesting. It really just means to warn them, to warn them. Um, you know, coming alongside those who are unruly and through gentle, loving, biblical counsel, warn them with the idea that, you know, you're willing to show them the consequences of their sinful conduct. Um, Thinking of the one young girl that, um, where drunkenness was the issue and being an older woman in her life, you know, I I can look so much further down the road than she can and I know where that's going to end up. And if she has any trust in anything I say, it's like, it's not going to go well for you if you continue to live your life like this. It's just not. Um, You know, just being able to have the wisdom to help somebody to see beyond their present overwhelming and just showing them the consequences of that is, is, is really helpful. That's kind of the idea he has. But practically speaking, before I would ever consider admonishing anybody, I myself would spend time in prayer And I, and I'll actually take you there because I think it's worth it. Let's go to Matthew 7. I actually spend time in Matthew 7. I think through this really carefully because it's not like, oh, goody, I get to go um, call somebody out on their sin. I mean, that's not what it is at all. But Jesus says um, in Matthew 7, 1 to 5, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You know, or do you not know, can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I spend time there. (laughs) I spend time there. I spend time confessing my own logs, you know. I spend time thinking about why. Why do I feel the need to go to this sister in private um, and talk to her about the sin that I see in her life? You know, why, why would I need to do that? And hopefully um, what it comes down to is this admonishment that you know that you need to give is out of love and concern for her. Um, that's true sin, uh, which is really important. It's not that my feelings are hurt, basically. Um, because, you know, the goal is always to restore somebody back to Christ. It's not me going to somebody and um, punishing them or something like that. This is always with the goal of wanting to restore them back to Christ and to godly living. I think that's why one of my favorite parables in the Bible is the lost sheep. 
It's the one that comes before Matthew 18.15. It's a church discipline passage that we're all familiar with. But in the parable of the lost sheep, um, Jesus talks about the fact that if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, what does he do? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's the kind of heart we need to have, ladies. You go after the one that's wayward. You've got to go search, and that's the kind of posture we have to have. We want to have the goal of restoring her back. Um, So anyway, you know, you make arrangements to go to that person in private because that's what God's word tells you to do, to go to them, talk to them. Um, and, and just, you know, bring this to bear in private um, and to warn them and just to hopefully help them to understand that their behavior is just completely out of step with Christ and the rest of God's people. And it's going in a direction that will end in disaster if she doesn't repent, you know. Um, I don't have to argue people into repentance. That's God's job. I just have to be faithful with the word of God and just the admonishing, okay? Because <laughs> um, not everybody repents, but we still have to be faithful to go. And we have to trust God enough that he's going to do the work. Okay? So just warn her, um, and, and then hopefully, Lord willing, she will, she will yeah, you'll, you'll win your sister. and You wouldn't have to take it any further. Uh, there's a proverb that's, that's Proverbs 13, 15, that says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of a transgressor is hard. So in other words, uh, part of the warning is just helping a person to understand that when you go your own way, you may think it's the easier thing to do. It's just easier, given to my feelings kind of a thing. But over time, it will not go well for you. Your life will just get harder and harder and harder. And that's the type of admonishment that I would give out of love for a sister who's transgressing. And of course, it's not easy for somebody that's a friend or a discipler. That's actually very, a very hard thing to do. But if a sister in Christ has a pattern of unruliness, God calls us to go and make disciples sometimes by bringing their sin to their attention in private. That's part of the discipleship effort. Allowing a person who professes to be a believer to carry on in unruliness is essentially allowing shame on the name of Christ. It's, it's, it's not the most loving thing to do. The most loving thing to do is to help her. At a hard level, I would just say a Christian... Um, who is behaving in an unruly way, is someone deep down inside who wants their own way anyway. They really don't want God's way. Essentially, they want to be in control of their own life, and and they seek to take Jesus' rightful place on the throne of their hearts. And at the heart level, you know, we would just say that she's just, at the end of the day, struggling with the sin of pride, right? Because essentially, unruly people are only focused on themselves. They're not focused on God at that point in their life. And so that's something you could talk to them about. Um, I have a good friend. He was a colleague for many years and a mentor. Um, His name is Stuart Scott, and he wrote a little booklet called From Pride to Humility, and it's just so helpful if you ever had to work through pride issues in your own life or, or with a friend. And he says in that little booklet that prideful people believe that they are or should be the source of what is good, right, and worthy of praise, They also believe that they by themselves are or should be the accomplisher of anything that is worthwhile to accomplish and that they should certainly be the benefactor of all things. In essence, they are believing that all things should be from them, through them, and to them or for them. So there's a bit of pride that goes, you know, uh, if we believe that out of the heart the mouth speaks, 
the heart is being driven in with pride with, with a person who struggles with this sort of unruly behavior. Um, so just kind of trying to help them to work through that would be important. Uh, follow-up conversations, going through that booklet, um, you know, I would say, I would say for sure, just expect that most people that are stuck here, they definitely get upset when you usually come and talk to them, <laughs> okay? So just expect that. They may not receive it well, but if they're truly a believer, they'll probably think about it for a while, and they'll come back to you, and they'll say, you're right, you're right, and we all know that. Um, you know, they're just, they're acting out of their pride, right? They're angry. They're getting angry. That's their pride talking. Um, so, When a woman or a child that you know is engaging in unruly behavior, the most loving thing you can do really is to admonish them. And, of course, the motive has to be because you desire that this disciple of Christ would walk more faithfully with him, thereby being a testimony of Christ to the world. And so they've they've got to uh, work through um, this particular issue in their life. And an important aspect to keep in mind here is that this kind of admonishment that I'm talking about is reserved for spiritual issues, okay, that are clearly sin issues, clearly. Um, I am not deputizing you as the sin police of Emmanuel Bible Fellowship, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, you've got to think through, is this real sin? This is not, again, not my feelings being hurt, you know, or whatever. It, this is true sin going on in her life, and I've got to go to her because it's, it's just bringing reproach on the name of Christ. And it does serious damage to the church if you don't. So thankfully, uh, Jesus, who is the believer's perfect example of discipleship, admonished many people in the scriptures who were unruly. He's our example. And believe it or not, the example um, uh, that I have in my mind is one was Peter. Jesus admonished Peter. (laughs) Um, You think of like Luke 22, 31 to 34. You can look it up on your own. But he admonishes Peter, there's a warning involved, and he uses the word of God um, to sanctify, right? So we who are true disciples, we have to learn from our, exa- our ultimate example, which is Christ, and, and that's who we're following, okay? So that's the unruly. So hopefully there's not too many of those types of things to deal with, but they do come up. I think the next category is more common, especially with women, <laughs> and it's the category of faint-hearted um, that Paul talks about. Um, in the Greek language, faint-hearted means to be small-souled or short of soul. You know, you think of the timid person um, that's fearful. Um, a woman who in the church who's, who's faint-hearted, she's, she's typically very anxious. That's the presenting problem. We call it a presenting problem where you see the behavior. On the outside is just a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, um, fear, um, you know, maybe being even captive to her worry. Uh, maybe it's habitual. Maybe she has a sense of inadequacy in her life or a lack of confidence in her abilities. And it would be common to observe a woman like this um, uh, frequently losing heart over something or wanting to drop out of something um, to be a quitter somewhat. And so perhaps you know someone like this in your church or perhaps you are this faint-hearted one, you know, one or the other. But in the local church it's, uh, at Thessalonica, what's interesting is the faint-hearted ones that he's thinking of are these believers that were just so um, distressed over the future of their, their loved ones who had died. Um, they just wanted to know that what would become of them should the Lord return in their lifetime. 
They didn't think that the dead in Christ that were in Christ, yeah, the dead in Christ would, would be raptured, you know. And so they were really deeply distressed over that. And so Paul had to encourage them and remind them that the dead in Christ would actually rise first, right? And that they didn't have to worry, but they needed to continue to trust God's word and to encourage others around them with the same truths. And in the church today, um, if you disciple a faint-hearted woman, usually it's, it comes down to a few common things. Usually she's got difficulty in her marriage and she's, she's just losing heart or she's got wayward children that aren't walking with the Lord, right? Maybe she's been isolated because of COVID. That just did so much damage, I cannot tell you, the, the isolation of people during that time. Sometimes you have believers that are just dealing with some, some just terrible diseases. Um, I've walked a couple of friends through cancer, so I know. Um, maybe you have believers, uh, friends that are just dealing with tough persecution issues at work or at school. So you just get faint-hearted, you know, you start to lose hearts, you're discouraged. These are circumstances often that are beyond your control. You can't, you can't necessarily fix them, let's say. So you struggle with anxiety because um, there's a fear of the future um, or a despair, like there's no hope. And so like Paul, with the faint-hearted believers in Thessalonica, we too are to make disciples by encouraging the faint-hearted. And so what do we mean by encourage? Um, sometimes the English word is not that helpful. But one thing I can tell you that in this little verse, this, this idea of encouraging is a command, which is in the present tense. And so when we're given a chance to counsel a faint-hearted woman, and you will, we're actually being called to continually encourage her ongoing, not just a one and done. There's a continual encouragement. And, and of course, it's always going to begin by looking around at your ladies um, in your church and to, to think and just to be observant and to try to recognize the faint-heartedness in people. They don't always come to you and say, I need help or I need encouragement. You got you to gotta kind of find them or know about them. And initiating a friendship to see if you can bring encouragement to bear in some situation. And so in essence, you know, what the Apostle Paul has in mind here is the idea of coming alongside a faint-hearted person to console her or comfort her or strengthen her in the inner man or just cheer her up. Um, More than likely, within the context of discipleship, with a person that's faint-hearted, just know that you'll be in the relationship, you'll be invested for a while, that's okay. What's the rush, right? And it just gives you this wonderful opportunity to model the Christian life in so many different ways, including helping them to have the right biblical response when they're faced with overwhelming circumstances in their life, helping them to walk through it just side by side, you know, as they're going through it. Um, I remember not too long ago, I was discipling a woman who was in a very difficult marriage, and she was really faint-hearted. She was just about ready to throw in the towel, and I think in some ways she came to see me to see if I could help her find a way to get out of the marriage. Sometimes people will do that, like I have some kind of magic way to get you out of situations. I don't know. Um, She really came to the wrong person. But anyway, um, her husband, it was a professing believer. That was the thing. And um, he was just disobedient to the word at that time and needed some help. And, but, but during that process, and he was willing to get help, which was encouraging, uh, but she was just growing weary. And so during that time, um, one way I sought to bring comfort from the scriptures 
um, because she really was suffering, um, was just praying through the scriptures with her. Like, you can do that. Like, you can pray through the Psalms. That is such a great thing to do with people when they're really suffering. Sometimes you just don't know what to say or what you ought to say. Let's just pray through the Psalms together. That brought her a lot of comfort and something that anybody can do. Um, And then, you know, you kind of get a person to a place where you can give them some biblical counsel because sometimes they need help with other things too, like um, wanting to make sure she's being attitudinally forgiving because if you're not, when you're going through a hard relationship and conflict, you'll grow bitter. You know, just doing some checks like that, um, but just making sure that she's just not growing um, weary in the good doing. Um, and praise God, you know, God gives the believer everything they need for life and godliness in his word. I don't, again, I don't have to invent stuff, you know. God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. I just have to be faithful to bring it to bear on the situation because God's word is definitely sufficient. Um, somebody that I really um, admire, I guess you could say, in the Bible is Hannah. I love Hannah. I love reading her story. I love her life. Um, if you're discouraged, I'd encourage you in your own quiet times to study First and Second Samuel. But she's extraordinary to me because she is a woman um, who lived in the time of the judges. It was a very dark time in Israel. She's a woman who was married to a polygamist, so she's number one wife probably, but there was a number two wife, and the number two wife was a rival. Hannah couldn't have children at that time, and, and this rival would, would make her, uh, and who, her rival who could have many children, definitely um, provoked Hannah and reminded her of her ability not to have children. You know, it was just a really, really tough situation. And she was sad, which is not a bad thing. The world will tell you sadness is bad. But sadness is actually a good thing because it can drive you to the Lord, right? And so for Hannah, that's exactly what happened. She's sad, she's despairing, she wants a child. But what she does is she worships the Lord anyway. You see her going to Shiloh, which was the area where they worshiped. You see her crying out to the Lord in prayer. And you see her living, leaving her circumstance at the, at, at the, just in the Lord's hands. It's kind of a picture of just leaving it in a sovereign God's hands. And she's, she's you know, no longer despairing, and she goes along her way. So there's a lot of things about Hannah that are just really neat to learn about. She's got a very high view of God. That's, how, that's what gets her through the despair. Um, but you know, just, just trying to even uh, use someone like Hannah as an example, um, just to a friend that you might be meeting with, to show that, look, sadness is, is normal. You know, circumstances can be hard. But we see Hannah praying and worshiping the Lord anyway. Um, Job was like that too, you know. And it's just, it's just beautiful to point out that there are faint-hearted women uh, that God uses um, their sadness to drive them to him. You know, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But most times uh, people who struggle with faint-heartedness are just anxious about their life and circumstances. And I would say at a, heart, at a, at a heart level, um, it's just unbelief sometimes. Um, if you struggle with anxiety, it's not that you wake up thinking to yourself, God is not sovereign. Because that's really an expression of not trusting in God's sovereignty or God's goodness or God's faithfulness. But functionally, when you're anxious, that's what you're doing. Okay? So, so just realize that. Um, just sometimes when you're anxious, it's like you've just got to stop and ask yourself, what am I worried about here? What, what, what about in the future am I fearing kind of a thing? So you can talk to people on that level 
They usually struggle with a, with a low view of God. Um, they lose sight of his goodness typically. So we have to remind people that a lot of times when you're in these tough situations, sometimes God is definitely, Romans 8, 28, using it for your good and his glory, but you just have to kind of help them to see how that is. <laughs> you know? um, and, and that he's faithful, that he's not going to give her more than she can handle, but he's going to provide a way of escape. And so those are some things you can talk to her about that he will provide for her needs. Um, and again, I would say maybe at a heart level, um, a faint-hearted person sometimes fears suffering, and they sometimes forget that Jesus told us, John 16, that in this life you will have tribulation. But what? But, you know, I've overcome the world. You know, Jesus has overcome the world. And so we walk as victors. Um, we can take courage in that. Um, and so as good friends, we can encourage our faint-hearted friends in that way and just kind of help them to understand how to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, even when they're suffering. And Jesus, who is the believer's perfect example of discipleship, encouraged those who were faint-hearted. And I think another woman in the Bible that's a good example is probably Martha. You've heard of Martha and Mary, right? Uh, we find their story in Luke 10, um, 40 to... I think 44, and there's, she's faint-hearted in that passage because, and anxious, because Jesus says you're, you're anxious, but she's trying to put a dinner on for a lot of people. There's a lot of things going on, and she's pretty wound up. And Jesus stops her and reminds her of the most important thing, which is to cease from all the things that she's worried about and to instead simply focus on the most important thing, which is Christ and his kingdom. She's just got her focus on self. That is the only thing that's necessary, and it's the good part that won't be taken away from her. So I think that that could be another good place to go. Uh, Luke 10, I think it's like 39 to 42, that passage just kind of talking through what Jesus is bringing to bear there. Um, And then another group of women that you might find in your church that need discipleship, deeper discipleship, would just be what we categorize as the weak. And um, the definition for weak here means those without strength, but Paul doesn't necessarily mean physically weak or even sick. He kind of has uh, two other ideas in mind here. He's referring to those with a spiritually weak faith, okay, spiritually weak, those who are weak because of a lack of knowledge of the will of God, um, and some through a lack of courage to trust God as they face something really difficult like criticism or persecution, that kind of thing. And these are typically your new believers that enter your doors, the ones that come to your Bible studies and your church, you know, um, on Sunday morning. They're in your women's group. Um, I think a practical example of the spiritually weak that I've discipled are those who are typically not raised in a Christian home. You know, I I think I was a weak believer when I first got saved. Usually they have a very difficult upbringing, and and then they come to faith later. Um, They're usually first-generation Christians, um, and so there's lots and lots to teach them because they're a little bit rough around the edges, you know? I think I was pretty rough around the edges. I kind of feel sorry for my disciplers, (laughs) so I think I was kind of a rough one. But um, the weak can be spiritually weak, but they can also be morally weak. That's the other idea that Paul has there. These are often the women we know in church who keep falling into the same sin over and over again. Um, My pastor says that these are the people that after getting them up and dusting them off um, are back in the same old hole again. Okay, so we 
sadly have some women in the church that, that, that those are some of their issues. They're, they're easily carried away by their emotions. They struggle with self-control. And some struggle with their thought life. So as far as God's word is concerned, when it comes to the weak, we are commanded to help them. That's what the exhortation is. And again, the word help here has a much bigger meaning in the Greek than the simplistic English word we use today. But what Paul has in mind here is to give sympathetic assistance, and this is kind of an awkward way to say it, by holding oneself over against. So in other words, it's the idea of supporting a weak person by keeping oneself directly over against the weak. And so basically what you're doing is you're sustaining them. And we see this same command like in Galatians 6.1. You can turn there for a moment just so you can see it. Um, turn back to Galatians. It's, it's a good one. If you ever get stuck understanding where the books of the Bible is for, for Galatians, I always remember Gentiles eat pork chops. So... Um, He says in verses 1 to 2, Brethren, even if someone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Um, So, you know, the idea is, um, is to restore such a one means to pick them up. Kind of. You're just picking them up. And then verse 2 says to bear one another's burdens. And when we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. So the step two is you're to hold them up. You pick them up, and then you, you continue to hold them up. Um, and, it's, and you do it in a spirit of gentleness, you know, um, not in a very cavalier way or condemning way. But the church is just full of women who struggle with, with these types of weaknesses. And we need to be willing to care enough to get involved in their life. I don't know about your church, but my church, we stayed open basically during COVID. Um, and I mean, like after a certain amount of time. And we just inherited so many people coming from everywhere. And so you have all kinds of people coming from all kinds of church situations. And so I was faced with a lot of this kind of situation where you had people with lots of different backgrounds and they were, it was a bit rough, (laughs) you know, but you still have to come alongside and care enough to get involved, spend time discipling them, teaching them to live out God's truth. Um, I remember one year I was, I worked at a women's shelter in Hollywood and these were women that came out of the prison system and the, the whole goal, they were in a gospel-centered ministry that I was working in, and the whole goal was to help get them reunified to their family, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully they got saved through the process because it was gospel-centered. But my goodness, the women I was sitting across from, <laughs> they're tatted up, they have no teeth, you know, they're pretty rough. And then God gets a hold of their heart. And so you're just trying to disciple them and help them with some of these weak areas, encouraging them. Um, on the inside, they're very tender, and, and they want the same things that you want. They want to be loved. They want to be discipled, that kind of thing. Um, but they were weak in the faith, and, you know, my biggest worry was would they fit in at my church because I wondered how people would deal with them because of the way they looked on the outside, right? But they were tender on the inside. So, you know, we just have to think, are we willing to disciple and help the little diamonds in the rough, so to speak? Um, they, they, don't, 
They too need to be loved and cared for and not forgotten or despised because of their helpless state. Okay? So discipling the weak will take a huge investment of your time. So just remember to be patient and let the Lord do the work in their heart. And again, Jesus, who is the believer's perfect example of discipleship, he helped the weak. He always helped those who were weak. And again, you know, Peter just becomes our example of everything. But he, he was an example of weakness and frailty and half-hearted devotion when he followed Jesus before his crucifixion. He was. And, but, but what Jesus did with him is he helped Peter face his weakness head-on. And he helped him learn the hard lesson of what it really means to live a changed life. He also reiterated what it costs to truly follow him with full devotions. And I think the most beautiful passage in scripture is, is John 21, 15 to 19. After Jesus resurrects and, you know, they, they see him um, and he, makes, he basically makes Peter breakfast, right? They see him and he restores, um, he restores Peter back to ministry. You know, it's just, just wonderful. So, and then of course we know where Peter went on to there and we read, we read books like Acts 2, where he's giving this beautiful sermon during Pentecost, you know, he became a very strong guy. So just thinking through, how might we help a person like that? And then finally, at the end, you know, Paul talks about, exhorts all of us to be patient with all men, and we could say be patient with all women. And of course, this category of people is everyone else who does not fit into the first three categories, and those who do. And, and Paul is really stating that all men, all women, need to be patient with people as God is sanctifying them. You know, you might be working with somebody right now, and they're just not growing at your rate, you know. But God is growing them in his own timing. He's sanctifying them day by day, moment by moment. And so we need to be patient with people as God is doing that. Um, there's always that temptation. Um, and so... Really what he's saying here is we are being reminded to have a steady patience with people. It means to have like, it's like the picture is like a long nose. I don't, it, this just expresses that sort of long spiritedness and really just a slowness to anger, which is very reflective of God's steady patience with us, right? So um, we've spent the lot, so we've spent some time trying to build a foundation for what it means to be discipled. And what it means to make disciples. And really, this uh, 45 minutes or so, I just wanted to help you or just discuss in, in part various categories of women that, that God is going to call you to disciple. Um, there's a reason why this is in here. You know, all scripture is profitable, right? And so you, you're going you're gonna to run into people that struggle in this way or just, you know, need to encourage them or whatever. And so there's going to be the unruly, there's going to be the faint-hearted, and there's going to be the weak, and they're just going to need the assistance of the whole church. So deeper discipleship involves at times those things, admonishing, encouraging, and helping. And we, we engage in deeper discipleship. It really reflects love for one another, you know, just involvement with each other, and absolutely a love for Christ, Okay. So I think that's all I'm going to share with you tonight. Today, I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty hot in here. <laughs> I'm feeling it, and I, I can tell you guys are a little bit tired. But I thank you so much. I'm going to pray with you one last time, and uh, then we'll get going. I guess with the rest of our afternoon. Let me pray. 
Lord God, you are so good to us, and we know that we do not deserve this great salvation that you've bestowed upon us, but we are so grateful for your kindness in granting us repentance and just giving us the faith to believe in the finished work of Christ. It was just so wonderful to sing music today that really, really highlighted you, Christ, and the finished work on our behalf We've learned um, some things, much about discipleship from understanding the commission that you give to go and make disciples, to training others in the good thing, in good things, to counseling those we come across who struggle with various different things. And so just help us, Lord, to desire to do your will and just to love the women in our churches in the way that you've called us to love them. Help us to repent of any pride that we might have in our own hearts or any fear that we might have that prevents us from these important discipleship relationships and just help us to press on from here today and lay a hold of that which we were laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. Now to you, O Lord, who is able to keep us from stumbling and to make us stand in the presence of your glory with great joy, to you, The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. All right. Thank you.